always excited to have guests with us. If you remember, know that we got, we are, we're praying for you guys, especially during this season, right? Uh, it's a season for us to be very happy and joyous. It's a season for us to enjoy our family, but most importantly, to enjoy Jesus, right? What Jesus has done for us. That Jesus came into this world. He was born a virgin, through a virgin birth in a manger, did not remain in a manger, but Jesus grew. Jesus lived a perfect life, and Jesus died on a cross, resurrected, ascended in heaven, and right now he's mediating on our behalf. That's the Jesus we serve, right? And we're thankful for that. So we are in our Christmas series. We have two sermons where we will be focusing on the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus. And this morning, um, we are in Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. So I'll give you some time because we've been in the book of Matthew. It's easy for us to turn in the New Testament. Old Testament is a little harder for us to get to. Um, but I'll give you some time to turn to the book of Isaiah. And when you've arrived to the text, say word. Word. Can you please stand? We stand out of reverence to God's holy and righteous word. For context, let's read verses 1 through 7. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, of them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior is battle to molt, and every garment rolled in blood with will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of the government and of peace, there will be no end. For the throne of David over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, speak to our hearts this morning because we are looking for you to lead us and to guide us, to be with us. This is the greatest gift that we have ever received, and it's Jesus Christ. So I pray that we recognize that this morning and we make much of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Teach us what we do not know. Make us what we are not. And give us what we do not have. And God's people say, Amen, Amen. You may be seated. The title for today's sermon is, The Greatest Gift. For, for perhaps you have received maybe a gift that you'd never liked, right? It's Christmas, maybe uh, last Christmas you received a gift from your spouse. Perhaps you 
got a gift under the, the tree and then you, you unwrapped it and, and there is a gift that you're like, why in the world will my husband or wife buy this for me, right? Uh, maybe, maybe it's an Alabama tie, right? Like, like, why would you even do this? Do you even love me, right? Uh, like my mom, when I was younger in high school, bought me an Atlanta Falcons jacket. I mean, mom, seriously. So all my friends were making fun of me when I went to school. You know, like, uh, dirty bird, really? That's what you're going to do to us, right? Um, but at the same time, perhaps you have open gifts that you ex- like just excited about. I cannot help but think about my sister, Lisa Cortez. Um, several months ago, there was a, a picture, a video of her on Facebook when she was younger, and she's opening this gift under the tree, and there's this, this great excitement in Lisa's face, right? Like, and, and you probably know this for yourself, with your own children, when they open a gift and that they really, really love, that there is a great excitement, you know, in their hearts. But I want to share this with you the greatest gift ever is our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you, when you think about Christmas, when you think about Christmas, you, you, you must think of, as a Christian, that Jesus Christ came to this earth, became a man, he was a baby, did not remain in the manger, right? And this is what we tend to do often is, is look at Jesus, how cute he was as a baby. And, and for those of you who have little babies, right, you, you say to yourself, man, I, I wish my baby could remain a baby. Look how cute, how beautiful, how nice they are and innocent they look. When it comes to Jesus, none of us should say this. When it comes to Jesus, we should be so excited that Jesus did not remain a baby, that Jesus grew up. And the Bible tells us the next time the Bible talks about Jesus in Scripture is when he was 12 years old in the temple. And the Bible doesn't even dwell there. The next time the Bible then talks about Jesus is when Jesus is 33 years old, beginning his ministry and dying on the cross. So friends, I need you to observe this with me, that the greatest gift that you will ever receive is Jesus. Not a new car or a new truck or a new pit boss, or a new house, it's Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you know Christ as Lord and Savior, then you should celebrate greatly. You should have that look that our sister Lisa had when she received the gift for Jesus, right? That you are so excited to embrace Jesus. This is how we should respond this morning to our Lord and Savior. So perhaps you have forgotten this. Perhaps the busyness of the season have captivated your heart or completely pulled you away from seeing the true significance of Christmas. Perhaps you need to be reminded this morning as to why you're here. And this is what the book of Isaiah has done for us. Isaiah chapters 9 verse 6 really talks about Jesus Christ. Even before Jesus Christ came, right? This is a prophecy of our Lord Jesus Christ, a prophecy of his birth, a prophecy of his rule, a prophecy of his names, right? So here specifically we have in the book of Isaiah, which is a very interesting book. The book of Isaiah is the second most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, 65 occurrences. It is by far the most quoted book 
pertaining to the Messiah himself, pertaining to Jesus himself, right? So, so the book of Isaiah is a book all about Jesus. And here specifically, Isaiah is talking about captivity. He's talking about the Assyrian captivity, and he, he talks about the Babylonian captivity. And 200 years in the future, he talks about the Persian captivity. And he shares with the people of God, and he, he shares with them of the difficulties that they are facing. They are, they're facing very difficult situations under their king Ahaz. Political situations where the government itself wasn't a good government. We could identify somewhat to the context of Isaiah. That we, we look around, we see our government, we see what's happening in America, and we say to ourselves, God, we need help. So the people here in the book of Isaiah were struggling through that, with that. And Isaiah writes and he tells them of a great king that will come and rescue them. A king whose government will be way better than Ahaz's government. I want you to observe with me very carefully. He goes from distress and darkness to light. So in chapter 8, verse 22, if you observe very carefully, chapter 8, verse 22, he says, And they will look to the earth, but behold distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. There's nothing but gloom and distress and darkness, right? And then he transitions from that to light and joy and happiness. And it comes with Jesus. This is exactly what he's doing here. I want you to observe this. So Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 7 is divided into three sections for you to understand this, right? Here is light, joy, and peace. So section 1, the light will come to those living in darkness. This is what Isaiah is saying. The light will come to those living in darkness. Who is this light? It's Jesus this is why we read the New Testament and we read the Bible backwards, right? We, we read the New Testament and we read what Jesus has done into the Old Testament as well. This is the beauty of us getting the end product of Scripture. We must read it backwards. We read it based on we have seen Jesus who has accomplished all things. So when we read the Old Testament and we read particular passages of Scripture, we say, this is Jesus. Under this rock is Jesus. This is Jesus. And this is exactly what John did for us in his gospel. In John chapter 1, verse 9, the true light. Ha, it was the true light. It's Jesus, which gives light to everyone who's coming into the world. This is what Isaiah is talking about here. The true light is Jesus. Secondly, we see in verses 3 through 5, God will defeat the nation's oppressors. He will defeat the nation's oppressors. And in Christ, ultimately, our oppressors is sin, death, and Satan. And Christ has fulfilled this. He has defeated our enemies. And three, a son will justly rule the Davidic Kingdom. We see this in verses 6 through 7. Unto us a child is born. The government will be upon his shoulders. He will be given this name, Wonderful God, 
wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Who is that? It's Jesus. This is exactly why in Luke's account, in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, he says, For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So friends, when you read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, you see Jesus, the ultimate fulfillment of this passage of Scripture. So friends, I want you to see this very carefully. The book of Isaiah talks a lot about Christ, as I mentioned before. It prophesies about the humanity of Christ, the divinity of Christ, the suffering of Christ, the humiliation of Christ, the servanthood of Christ, and many more. But this morning, I want you to see three points here within this passage of Scripture, three prophecies. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. One, the prophecy of his birth. Two, the prophecy of his rule. And three, the prophecy of his names, his birth, his rule, and his names. So I pray that you're ready to encounter Christ in the Old Testament. This is why I love the Old Testament. This is why I love Scripture, because it's all about Jesus, right? So point number one, the prophecy of his birth. The prophecy of his birth. We see this in verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Isaiah here has given us a great prophecy of the consolation of Israel and the world. This is exactly what we must understand. This is a messianic title here in Scripture. It pertains to Jesus. Unto us a child is born. Isaiah previously, earlier in his book, had mentioned of the birth of Jesus. And we know this specifically because of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Notice very carefully what it mentions. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. But Kevin, how do you know Isaiah is talking about Jesus? Well, one of the clear ways that we know is because the New Testament writers believed it was Jesus. The Spirit of God spoke to them as they're writing Holy Scripture, and they interpret this passage of Scripture by saying Isaiah was talking about Jesus. How do you know this, Kevin? Well, notice Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew tells us this is Jesus here. This is a consolation that Simeon, that Anna the prophetess, was awaiting in Luke chapter 2. They were awaiting to see the Christ, Jesus Christ himself. And Isaiah later on tells us of what Jesus will do. He will bring great comfort when Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 40 verses 1 through 3. Notice very carefully. Comfort, comfort my people, says God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and she received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, that's John the Baptist, and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Who is this? This is Jesus. So Isaiah tells us that Jesus' birth brings comfort to those who await in Christ. As we see in the life of Anna the prophetess and Simeon, 
There was great comfort in their hearts to hear of the birth of Jesus. So coming closer, coming closer and write this down. It's important for us on this side of the cross to get this. Jesus was born to die, and it is in his death that we can find salvation and redemption. He was born to die. So do not romanticize his birth where you want to keep him in the manger. Oh, how cute, a baby Jesus. No, he was born to die. It's in his death that we find redemption. And thank God for his birth, because he was born to die. This Christmas season, I think we should always remember this. As you remember the birth of Jesus Christ, Think of the death of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Think of it all. And for that, you should be thankful, very thankful. One uh, Catholic, a Roman Catholic scholar, who denied the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. This man is the name, his name is John Dominic. Crossing, crossing. And he's a member of Jesus' seminar. And he discounts the biblical narrative about the virgin birth. And he says it was invented theology. He acknowledged that Matthew mentions of the birth of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. But he says, even when Matthew is referring to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that Matthew just made this up. Matthew really did not fully understand what he was saying. This is what he mentions. He says, clearly somebody went seeking in the Old Testament for a text that could be interpreted as prophesying a virginal uh, conception, even if such was never its original meaning. Somebody had already decided on the transcendental importance of this adult Jesus and sought to retroject that significance onto the conception and birth itself. This man is so wrong. And he's so wrong because Scripture is consistently pointing to the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. It's not just Matthew. You have the entire New Testament who points to that. You have Isaiah who points to the virgin birth, not only in Isaiah chapter 7, but here Isaiah is talking about the birth of Jesus himself. We have Scripture upon Scripture to back the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you take away from the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, you take away everything. It's important that we understand that Jesus was born a virgin birth. It's, it's important for us to understand that he was, yes, fully man, but fully God. And you take away from his humanity, or you take away from his divinity, you take away from everything. So friends, notice here specifically that he was born. He was born a virgin birth. He was born to die on the cross for our sins. But notice the second point. Not only was his birth prophesied, but his rule was also prophesied. Do you see it in your own Bibles? I love this here because the text tells us this one phrase. For unto us a child is born. Then it went on by saying this, 
a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. For, for a long time, I thought that phrase pertained to Jesus' suffering and persecution. But the phrase here specifically pertains to Jesus' ruin element, his lordship, that he rules. This, this is exactly what the phrase is alluding to. It's an idiom that means that he will wear a robe of a king and he will rule and govern his people. And we get four aspects of Jesus' ruling in verse 7 itself. What are they? First, when the new son rules, he will limitlessly expand his influence and create peace without end. It tells us this in verse 7. So we got to look at verse 6 and verse 7 to understand Jesus is ruling. And in verse 7, it says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. In other words, he is very authoritative. Everything bows to him. He is king of kings and lord of lords. This sweet Jesus who was born in a manger is now a man and he's ruling on high. He's king of kings and lord of lords. This is the same Jesus that was referred to in Psalm chapter 2 verses 7 through 9. This is a messianic psalm as well pertaining to Jesus and pertaining to him ruling. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This is Jesus so Isaiah here is talking about the ruling aspect of Jesus Christ. Psalm 2 talks about that as well. But what else can we learn about Jesus' authority? Second, this ruler will reign on the throne of David and reestablish the kingdom. This is great news for the people here, right? The context that Isaiah is writing to, that they see the king Ahaz and see how horrible of a king he is. And here, this great prophecy is saying, the son of David will come and reestablish the kingdom. He will rule. Friends, what a great passage of scripture we have here. Notice very carefully what it mentions here. In verse 7, it says, On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not talking about any other king that will come. He's talking about Jesus. Only Jesus can reestablish this. Only Jesus can have a kingdom like this. Third, his method of ruling will be based on the principle of justice and righteousness. See in your own Bibles what he mentions here. With justice and with righteousness. This is how Jesus rules. Not like Ahaz who's a coward and who is unrighteous that the people were seeing. But the author here, Isaiah, is saying there will be a king who will come and he will rule with righteousness and justice. And that's Jesus. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4, verses 4 through 5, talks about the righteousness of this great king who rules. And this is Jesus 
But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with a rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and the faithfulness, the belt of his loin. That's Jesus. And fourth and finally, what can we learn about the ruling aspect of our Lord Jesus Christ? The, Div uh, the Davidic covenant here, or the fact that he's ruling, will reign forever. Jesus' reign is a reign that lasts forever. And this is a promise here given to us in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. It says this, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established. His kingship is a kingship that will last forever. We're not looking for another king in the Old Testament, Ahaz, and there was a, another king, Ahab, and, and there's another king, Solomon, and another king, David. They're constantly looking for the right king to come. No, friends, we have our king, and his kingdom has established forever. His throne is forever. This is the king that we look to. So what, what a great principle for us today. I've heard it. I've heard it from you. I've heard it from my, even myself. I say this, man. man. It's getting bad in our world today, right? Man, it's, it's just bad. Everywhere I turn, it's just crazy. But the simplest things, like believing and proclaiming in the Word of God, we, we can't even do that to some extent. That people get their feelings hurt, or they tell you you can't even share about Jesus in your job site, right? Like, like you, you, you can't even talk about the value of a family and gender identity that God has created, male and female. You can't even do that, do, do that in your jobs, right? Pronouns you can't even use. <laughs> you can't say he or she. You have to use they. It's getting bad when we look at our government and we see that everything is going up. Like they're constantly taken from us. And we, we're saying to ourselves, God, what's going on here? So, so we, we, we could identify with the people here. And what, what we are called to do is to trust in God. Don't lose hope and know that Jesus is your ultimate king. Know that you're called to submit to him. Know that he is on his throne. Know that his government is a government of peace and love and justice and righteousness. Even if we believe that the government around us is none of these things, our hope is in Jesus. So I look at those who are not saved and feeling the same way that we feel, and they have no hope, and we can tell them, hope in Jesus, hope in Jesus. So we transition from the prophecy of his birth to the prophecy of his rule to finally the prophecy of his names. His names. He is given a plethora of names and beautiful names, wonderful names. See for yourself what the text mentions here about our great God. 
All of the titles here given to Jesus are not found in Ahaz and the government in that time. Think about it. See for yourself. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So, so let, let's look at these names very carefully. Wonderful here, and the original language means a sense of miracle, marvelous. So Jesus' name, when you think about his name, you, you think about all of the miracles that he has done. He, he is a God who can do great things, wonderful things, including resurrecting his own self. <laughs> When you read in the New Testament, you marvel at what Jesus has done, right? He, he works miracles. He, he, he works wonders. But he is a wonderful, and the text mentions as well, a counselor. Counselor is one who gives wisdom, right? You go to a counselor today to be able to give you wisdom. But there is the greatest counselor, and it's Jesus, the text mentions in the New Testament when Jesus ascended into heaven right before he did, he told his disciples, I will send to you another. And it's called the paraclete, which is the great counselor himself, the Holy Spirit. So every single one of you Christians today, you have the Holy Spirit as a counselor in your life. What a beautiful thing for us, right? We have the Spirit of God giving us wisdom as we turn to God's Word, as we turn to God, that the Spirit of God lifts us up and guides us and leads us. So you have the Spirit to be able to lead you in this way. And the reason why is because of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 28, verses 29 says, This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counseling and excellent in wisdom you need wisdom turn to jesus you need counseling turn to jesus turn to jesus next he is mighty god the mighty god strong who is able to uplift you do you feel like your burdens are so heavy upon you, like this big rock upon you and no one can lift it? Imagine this great Savior who lifts your burden off of you. He is mighty. This is the mighty God that we consistently see in Scripture fighting on behalf of his people. I love the Old Testament. When I read stories such as Joshua, and Joshua's enemies are pursuing him, and God fought for his people. And the text said, God killed more people than Joshua and the Israelites did. <laughs> Who's fighting? Who is fighting? God is. God is. When you think of David and Goliath, who is fighting? God is. God is always fighting on behalf of his people. And will you turn to the mighty God? Everlasting Father. Now this one, we just kind of struggle with it because we believe in the Trinity. The Bible talks about the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So how is Jesus the everlasting Father? It doesn't make sense here. 
But the original language pertains more to father of eternity, is what the text alludes to. It doesn't say everlasting father like we would have the concept of the Godhead father himself, that Jesus is the father, or Jesus has the role of the father. No. Father for people in that time, in the original language or in the original context, would be the originator or the source himself. Like, for example, in Scripture it says, Satan is the father of lies, the originator. Jesus is the originator of eternity. (laughs) This is what the text wants you to see, how awesome he is, that he gives us eternal life. His kingdom is eternal. Everything about him is eternal. And he is the originator of it. And finally, it says the prince of peace. Don't you love this? We learned this last week. That Jesus brings peace to us and God. That we are depraved, we're depraved, alienated from God. Our sins have kept us from him. And Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and brought peace between God and us. And now we can enter into the holies of holies where God is because of Jesus Christ. So we have peace because of Jesus. And Luke chapter 2 verses 13 through 14 says, And suddenly there was an angel multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and of earth and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased he brings peace between us and the father we're reconciled but there's also peace in our hearts every single day as we live this difficult world life there's peace that we are okay with God We are okay with people. My heart finds peace. This is why why St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless until it finds rest in God. To find peace with Jesus in Christ. So friends, as we close, as we think about the great prophecies here in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, we think of three main things. The prophecy of his birth. He was born a virgin birth. We believe that based on what Scripture says in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Maybe our minds cannot wrap, can be wrapped around it, but we have to believe he was born a virgin birth. If you take away from Jesus' virgin birth, you take away from his humanity and you take away from his divinity. So we have to believe that he's fully man and fully God. Scripture proclaims that. Second, there's a prophecy of his rule, that Jesus rules on high. So even when we feel that our hearts are broken, even when we feel feeble and weak because we see what's happening around us, we turn to Jesus and we cast our gaze on heaven because Jesus is ruling on high. This is exactly why Scripture says consistently to set our minds on things on heaven and not on earth. Why? Because this is where Jesus is ruling on high. So friends, listen. Not only is the prophecy of his rule, but we also see the prophecy of his names. Who is Jesus? He's a wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the father of eternity. And he is the Prince of Peace.
Will you turn to Jesus this morning? Will you worship him this morning? For those of you who are in Christ, you have given your life to Jesus, you have more reason now to make much of Jesus. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, there is no peace in your heart. You have not been reconciled with God. Turn to Jesus. Turn to faith. Repent of your sins. And trust in the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. The father of eternity. And he's the prince of peace. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thankful for great passages of scripture such as Isaiah chapter 9. That we see Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus tells us that. As we read the book of Luke, he says the law, the prophet, the Psalms, they're all about me. So God, as we read backwards, as we read the new into the old, we see great fulfillment, O oh Lord. We see great accomplishment, O oh Lord. Well, thank you for the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection and ascension. Let us glory in you, Father. As we spend time buying gifts, as we spend time opening gifts under the Christmas tree, let us remind ourselves of the greatest gift ever. And that is Jesus. We love you. We worship you. And we thank you. Amen.